0: This evening we're going to consider the oh, an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant, we're looking at Genesis chapter 17, the whole chapter. In the past few weeks, a lot has already been said, considering a promise that the Lord gave to Abraham when he brought him out of the earth of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia. He gave him a promise that in him and his seed there would be great blessings. He would make a great nation of Abraham and in Abraham and his seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. At the time that promise was given, Abraham was already 75 years old and his wife Sarai was 65 years old. That was... Genesis chapter 12. I, I, I know I've been through this time and again, but I think it is something that we need to be so clear about. It's a thread that runs all the way through the scriptures, and we need to understand this clearly this promise that was given to Abraham. So that was chapter 12. Then in chapter 15, the promise of God was reiterated when the word of the Lord took Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. You can imagine that, looking at the stars at night, and seeing stars everywhere, too many to count. So shall thy seed be. Clearly that was uh, a sign of the promise of great blessings to as I say, God would make Abraham a great nation but also all the families of the earth being blessed in Abraham and his seed. In that chapter, chapter 15, the Lord explained to Abraham that after four, 400 years of affliction in a strange land, his seed would come out with great riches and take possession of the promised land of Canaan. In the first instance, that promise was fulfilled with the Israelites being brought out of their afflictions in Egypt. And they came out of egypt with with uh, great substance riches that they'd acquired uh, that the Egyptians had actually given to them on their way out of the land. Uh, you can see the providence of God there and the the fulfillment of god 's promise the very fact that the israelites left their afflictions, slavery in Egypt with these great riches and then after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness they took possession of the land of Canaan. Also there is an ongoing spiritual and eternal fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham because the Israelites taking possession of the land of Canaan doesn't really... Uh, explain how all the families of the earth would be blessed in Abraham, or Abraham and his seed. All the families of the earth, not just the Jews. So there's that ongoing spiritual and eternal fulfillment of the promise, and that was seen to be the case that this promise has uh, is much broader than just embracing the Israelites of old. We saw that to be the case in the New Testament epistle to the Galatians where the Apostle Paul explains that Abraham's seed is the Lord Jesus Christ and all who are in Christ, having been baptised into Christ, are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, where the promise relates to spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul explains there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You're all one if you be in Christ Jesus, trusting in him, then you are heirs of the promise. Abraham's seed, heirs of the promise, which of course embraces you as a Christian, if you're a Christian trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, here in chapter 17 I say here the chapter that we're going to consider tonight chapter 17 10 years have passed by since the promise of God That can't be right. Well many years have passed by since the promise of God was first given to Abraham. Remember that remember all along that the, the the promises to Abraham and his seed and by this time Abraham is an old man. We see in, chapter, in verse one of chapter seventeen when Abraham was ninety years old and nine ninety-nine years old, and his wife Sarah. You just subtract ten years, so she's eighty-nine years old. They are old, and um, Sarah was barren as well. Still, no child. Sarah had not obtained. Uh, produced a child for Abraham. So you think, well, where's the seed coming from here? It was seen in chapter 16, we'll go back one chapter, it was seen in chapter 16 last week that Abraham and his wife Sarai, they took matters into their own hands with Abraham going in unto Sarai's slave girl Hagar who bore him a son called Ishmael. With that in mind, we shall see in chapter 17 more details concerning the promise of the Lord to Abraham. But at the moment, what we have, the situation we have, is Abraham and Sarai, and they've got a son, most certainly, but the thing is, the son, Ishmael, he is from Hagar, the the slave girl. She was the slave girl of Sarai. So first of all, Almighty God's covenant with Abraham, this is uh, where we, the covenant is brought to us in terms of it being a covenant. Where a covenant is an alliance with pledges being made. And God is the one who makes the pledges. Certainly not man. Back in chapter 9, the Lord made a covenant with Noah and with his seed after him and with every living creature. In the covenant that God made in Noah's time, he said, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God attached his solemn pledge to Noah and his seed and to all creatures of the earth. He attached to that pledge a sign a visible sign and what was that sign that God attached to, that promise that he made to Noah? We look, we see it in the sky, a rainbow. So when you see the sign, you're reminded that God will never again destroy the earth with a flood and as I say, that rainbow is a visible sign of God's pledge. Look at that sign, yep. God, that that God has given that sign to remind us, to tell us, that never again will he destroy the the earth with a flood. It's not just a colourful pattern in the sky. The word of God is attached to that sign in the sky. Coming back to Abraham, we know that the Lord had already made the promise Of great blessing in him and his seed and now in chapter 17 we see that promise being renewed in covenantal language. We've seen the covenantal language um, with Noah and now we're going to see the covenantal language with Abraham. We'll have a look at verses 2 to 4 again and then I'm going to drop down to verses 7 and 8. So first, first of all verses 2 to 4. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So that's verses 2 and 4. Verses 7 to 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." In God's covenant with Abraham, amongst other things, the land of Canaan was once again promised to him and to his seed after him. We've seen this in chapter 12, chapter 15, we're seeing it again now in chapter 17. Also, Abraham's name was changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. That makes sense, doesn't it? Father of a multitude, when you consider that the blessings were far-reaching. And Almighty God required Abraham and all the males of his house, even those who were not his physical descendants, to be circumcised in the flesh. That divinely instituted practice continued over the centuries. It wasn't just in the immediate future. Even the Lord Jesus Christ... As a physical descendant of Abraham, 1900 years after Abraham was given this promise or thereabouts, 1900 years when the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, what happened to him? On the, on the, when eight days were accomplished, he was circumcised in the flesh according to what God had instituted. We've already considered the rainbow as a sign of God's covenant promises and generally circumcision of the flesh can also be seen as having been a visible sign of God's covenant promise to his people. All those Israelites, or at least the males of course, who were circumcised in the flesh, for them that was a sign of God's covenant promises. It can also be seen as having been a seal in that it uh, it was a seal, and we shall look at that in, in more detail later on, a seal in that it stamped and certified what God had promised. However, God required obedience from all his covenant people, all who would receive the sign of circumcision. However, the Bible teaches very plainly that obedience was not forthcoming from the Israelites of old. Although God had made a covenant with them, with these pledges, giving them the land of Canaan, and he required obedience, they were far from obedient. They forsook the almighty God, and they they made for themselves their own gods, which they worshipped. They were idolaters, in other words. They did not keep God's covenant. However, As has already been pointed out and considered, there has always been an ongoing fulfilment of the promise that God made to Abraham, an ongoing promise, ongoing spiritual fulfilment that embraces all nations. That the Apostle Paul spoke about in his epistle to the Galatians, for those who are in Christ Jesus baptised in him, trusting in him, they are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. We're going to be considering that in more detail very shortly. But next, what I want to consider with you is that Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, looking at verses 15 through to 19. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, my wife, Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him, that is, an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old, bear? And Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. Sarah's name was changed to Sarah, meaning Princess. And in accordance with God's purpose, He would bless her and she would be celebrated as a princess and as a mother of nations. For 89 year old Sarah to become a mother of nations, she would, she would of course have to conceive and bring forth a child, as we, as I've already said. Her husband's response to that can be very clearly seen in verse 17 where Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him, that is, an a hundred years old, and shall Sarah, that is, ninety years old, bear? And then in the next verse, Abraham said to the Lord, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. When you look at verses 17 and 18, You might well wonder if Abraham fell upon his face and laughed as he proposed that his son, by Sarah's handmaid or slave girl, Hagar, Ishmael, he proposed that Ishmael might stand before or live before the Lord. And is it that he didn't believe? He didn't really believe that his elderly princess, who was barren, would ever be able to give birth to a child in order to become a mother of nations. Is that what was going on there? That would, of course, be a very serious matter indeed, if Abraham did not believe the Lord. Because the Lord has said something to him there, and if Abraham did not believe, that would not be good, would it? Especially when you remember that Abraham is the father of the faithful, all those who believe. Do we have unbelief in these verses? He did believe. For one thing, we know for a fact from chapter 15 and verse 6, which was a few years earlier, that Abraham believed the Lord concerning his promise And his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. That's pretty much exactly what it says. Let's have a look there. We're going back a few years here. The promise was given to Abraham again when the Lord said, Look up, look now towards heaven and tell the stars if they'll be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And then in verse 6, And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Also, if you look at chapter 17 and verse 3, you'll see that Abraham fell on his face. Look at verse 3 there. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him. So, where we see Abraham, Abraham falling on his face, in verse 17... It's not the first time he did that. It would seem that this is something that Abraham did. Why did he do that? Because he was being addressed by Almighty God. That's a pretty good reason to fall on your face. It doesn't mean literally to fall on your face. It most certainly means to prostrate yourself in reverence before God or acknowledging the holiness of God. And that's something that all of God's people should be doing. Falling on their face when they address God and when God addresses them. Or at least have that attitude of heart. As I've said before, we ought to read our Bibles prayerfully. When we read our Bibles, when we open the the Bible up and God speaks to us in the pages of the Scriptures... Do we have the attitude of heart whereby we fall on our face in the presence of God as he speaks to us? As it is written in Psalm 89 and verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. So, why did Abraham laugh and say in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him, that is, an hundred years old, and shall Sarah, that is, ninety years old, bear? Well, how about because of joy? Mingled with astonishment. Astonishment? No getting away from it. Astonishment in hearing that but an astonishment that was nevertheless overruled by faith. Because again, there is nothing there to tell us that he did not believe. And when you think about it, and I had to think about this, you can be astonished, but you can still believe God. Not always the case. And we've already seen that uh, in the case of the, the father of John the Baptist, when he was told that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a child in his old age and her old age, Zacharias, the priest, he didn't believe. And we're told that he did not believe and he was struck dumb until John the Baptist was born. Whereas Mary, the Virgin Mary, when she was told that she would conceive and bring forth a child, and call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. She asked questions, but she believed, and she rejoiced. My soul have rejoiced in God my Saviour. She was joyful at that news. But I would suggest that she was also astonished, that she, a virgin, would conceive... But it doesn't necessarily mean unbelief, to be astonished. And yeah, when I'm reading about Abraham here, I I, I see some astonishment. It doesn't say that, but just, I, I, I don't know if you would agree with me, you can be astonished and still believe. But the point is, he believed and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. As for Abraham proposing Ishmael to be his son, to live before the Lord. That was an interesting turn of events. When you consider, when Hagar, the the maid, the, the handmaid of Sarah, was pregnant with Ishmael, and things didn't go too well, um, Hagar was afflicted, By Sarai, well first of all, Hagar, she despised her mistress when she was pregnant with Abraham's child. She despised Sarah. Sarah, for her part, she afflicted Hagar. And Abraham, all he could say to Sarah is, do with her whatever you wish. Do with her what you want. Although Hagar was pregnant with his child. And consequently, Hagar, she went off into the wilderness because she was sorely afflicted by her mistress, Sarah, or Sarai as she was then. And it's only because the Lord met with Hagar in the wilderness and said, go back to your mistress, that she did so. But that's important. And it's very important that she she went back to her mistress because then what developed was a situation Whereby Hagar, who was back with her mistress, she gave birth to Abraham's son Ishmael, and he was part of A- Abra- Ishmael was part of Abraham's ha- household instead of being long gone with his mother Hagar. It was the, the Lord who'd said to Hagar, "Get back to your mistress," and, which is what she did. And so Ishmael was in the household of Abraham, Abraham's son no less and 13 years had gone by and no longer was Abraham saying do, as, do with her as you wish to his wife Sarai things are very different now and it, it seems very clear to me at any rate that he had an affection for his son Ishmael he was his son after all been his son for 13 years In verse 19 the Lord made it very clear to Abraham that he would not establish his covenant with Ishmael but with a son brought forth by Sarah and his name would be called Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Presumably that name commemorates the fact that Abraham when he fell down he laughed when he was told that his wife Sarah would be a mother of nations. But if we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying and, and the way I'm reading into this. If we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, we can see that Abraham's faith in the Word of God was never in question. Despite his laughter and despite him proposing his son Ishmael for the establishment of God's covenant. So you don't have to listen to what I think about all of this. Let's see what the Word of God actually says. If you want to keep your finger in Genesis chapter 17 and turn the pages to Romans, to Romans chapter 4. i'm sure i don't need to remind you but i will anyway let's let's appreciate that what the apostle paul is saying to us here is all infallible It's as infallible as any other scripture you care to turn to in the Bible. It's the Word of God. The Apostle Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to say what he said. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through to 22. Concerning what we've just been considering in Genesis chapter 17. So we're looking at Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, this is Abraham, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, about, he was actually ninety-nine, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was eighty-nine, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, how about that? Strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So there you have it, the word of God. Abraham, 99 year old Abraham, was strong in faith. Coming back to Genesis chapter 17, even though the promise to Abraham Of great blessings would not come through his son, Ishmael. The Lord graciously reassured Abraham concerning Ishmael. I've already said clearly after 13 years, he loved his son just like any father would love his son. And look at verses 20. The Lord knew his, obviously the Lord knew Abraham's concern for his son Ishmael. The Lord has just told Abraham that the, the promise is not going to come through Ishmael. It's going to come through Isaac when he's born. But look at verses 20 and 21. And as for as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. As can be seen in verse 20, the promise of great blessings in this life were indeed given to Ishmael. The Lord had not forgotten Ishmael. Finally, back in chapter 12 and verse 3, The Lord said to Abraham, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That was when he first received that promise. As that promise unfolded, we've seen today that God made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac's seed. The covenant took the form of it being a covenant, in the first instance, a covenant of circumcision, circumcision of the flesh, with it came the promise of the land of Canaan, which the Israelites who descended from Abraham and Isaac took possession of about 400 years later, 400 years after this covenant was made. Last but certainly not least, it is an everlasting covenant, and this is where our ears should really prick up because this concerns us directly now. It is an everlasting covenant in that the seed of Abraham, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that everlasting covenant comes everlasting spiritual blessings, such as what? Such as, first and foremost, the forgiveness of all your sins. Everlasting life and a heavenly inheritance All of this through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come into the world as the sacrificial lamb about 2,000 years after the promise was first given. We've seen that under the terms of the covenant that Almighty God made with Abraham, he and all the males of his house, and even those who were not physical descendants, were to be circumcised in the flesh. And we've seen that that circumcision was a sign of God's covenant that, w- that had been made with Abraham. However, if a person did not have the righteousness of God, that is by faith, circumcision availed nothing. It was something that God demanded, we've seen that in chapter 17. God commanded Abraham to circumcise all the males, but... If that's all it ever was, it would avail nothing in the long term, in the everlasting term shall we say, eternally. But where there, is, where there was or is a genuine faith in God, circumcision was a sign and a seal of the righteousness of God, that is by faith as was the case with Abraham. Not just a sign, a sign and a seal of the righteousness of faith. Faith that Abraham already had years before his circumcision of the flesh. And so that's when he finally was circumcised in his flesh, it was a sign of God's covenant promises and it was a seal of the righteousness of God. What do I mean by that? It's stamped and it's certified The fact that Abraham was justified through faith and all of that happened that being justified by faith was 14 years before he was circumcised in the flesh what that means is 14 years earlier when he first believed the promises of God he was actually circumcised not in the flesh but in his heart That was explained by the Apostle Paul. Back to the Apostle Paul again. I can read this one to you. Chapter 4, verses 11 through to 13. Paul who said, And he, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. There's the sign. It's a sign of God's covenant. And a a seal, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, a seal, as I've already said, it 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 stamped and certified the righteousness that Abraham already had for the past um, 14 years. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also and the father of circumcision to them, who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. Talking about us now, Gentile believers. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. I'll unpack that a little bit for you. Although there were others who, like Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, I'm talking about in the flesh, by and large, most of those Israelites they received that, that circumcision in the flesh, but they had no faith in God. They, they they as I've already said, they turned to idols. During that forty years in the wilderness, all but two of the generation of Israelites who were um, brought out of of uh, their afflictions in Egypt. they Their carcasses fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief, because of their idolatry. They had circumcised flesh, but their hearts were not circumcised. Nevertheless, Abraham was not the only one who had a circumcised heart, a heart of faith as well as circumcised flesh. God has always had a remnant of believing people justified through faith. Not necessarily circumcised in the flesh, but most certainly all would have circumcised hearts, including you here tonight. One thing that you do have if you are a born-again Christian is a circumcised heart. Jews or Gentiles, it, again, it doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised in the flesh or not. What really matters is a righteousness that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and having a circumcised heart. Believing that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins at Calvary's cross, having kept God's law perfectly. Throughout his earthly sojourn, in the new covenant of which Jesus is mediator and surety or guarantee of the everlasting promises of God—not not Canaan, not that strip of land in the Middle East, but the heavenly Canaan—circumcision of the flesh. circumcision of the flesh as a sign and a seal whereby the Lord stamps and certifies his covenant promises it's been replaced we don't have it anymore it's not a requirement anymore it's been replaced with water baptism i'm back on that subject again water baptism which the son of God has graciously given to his church let me just read to you question 69 of the heidelberg catechism It asks, how is it signified and sealed? There you go, the sign and the seal again. How is it signified and sealed to you in holy baptism that you have part in the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross? The answer given is, thus that Christ instituted this outward washing with water and joined it therewith his promise that I am washed with his blood and spirit from the pollution of my soul, that is from all my sins, as certainly as I am washed outwardly with water, whereby commonly the filthiness of the body is taken away. This, this is nothing new. Basically what I'm saying is, if you're a Christian, most certainly you have a circumcised heart. But in a sense, the circumcision of the flesh that was, has now been replaced with water baptism. And that in itself should tell you that it's more than something we do. For why, why do we do it? Because we've got Baptists written on our church, Grace Baptist Church. Much more going on here. It's a sign and it's a seal. In other words, it stamps and certifies God's covenant promises to you. You who believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Given that to the church, and what a blessing that is, and a means of grace, tremendous means of grace. Therefore, as we finish, repent, trust in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your saviour from sin, and receive the righteousness of God, that is through faith in him. Amen.